Hello and welcome to the Four Comic Junkies Podcast. When the comics aren't enough and you need a little extra fix. I'm your host, JJ Hodges. This podcast is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Go to batmanonfilm.com to see all the coolest bat news and uh, geek-related podcasts you could possibly get your ears on. All right, folks. Here it is. Part two of our watching of Batman Forever and everyone making fun of me. I, I'm kidding. We're not doing that. Uh, <laughs> no, this this time we're doing a little bit of a retrospective on Batman Forever. My guest is uh, Josh Lagern, one of the uh, nicest, just sweetest guys you'll ever meet. Um, yeah, and knows his stuff when it comes to uh, to all this uh, all this geek shit. You know, uh, helps uh, give me a little bit of a uh, education on. The transition from Batman Returns to Batman Forever and uh, all that stuff. You know, it, it's it, it's really interesting Hollywood history. Uh, if you really dig into all that, if you're interested in all that, uh, as I am, I, I think that kind of stuff is uh, is exciting. And um, and we get into that even in later episodes. You'll you'll hear with uh, as we go from this movie to Batman Begins to Batman v Superman and you know all that all that stuff. And now to the Batman. Oh my gosh, we're on the road to the Batman. Um, one thing this movie has in common with uh, the Batman coming up is that it's a Bruce Wayne story. That's crazy, right? You know? <laughs> uh, two movies in, live action movies. Uh, no Batman story, no Bruce Wayne story. Just uh, just Batman shows up and Bruce Wayne is also there a little bit. Uh, Batman Forever actually does have a, uh, have a uh, Bruce Wayne story to tell. And Josh and I get into that a little bit. Um, if you're uh, looking for me out there in the interwebs, you can find me at uh, Four Comic Junkies on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, that's F O R Comic Junkies, not not Four, the F O R, because uh, this is inclusive. Come on in, we're here for you. Four Comic Junkies. Uh, you can also email me Four Comic Junkies at gmail dot com. <sighs> I. I sometimes I don't like these intros because I don't want to keep you from the episode because it's such great conversations. You know, Josh is a great guy. You'll love this one. All right. We're talking Batman Forever. Here we go. Uh, Josh has returned. Um, thank you so much, Josh, for coming back to the show. Or um, am I here forever? JJ? Uh, oh, my gosh. What? What is happening? <laughs> oh. Ret- returns coming up later you told me but yes yeah th- mm-hmm. that would be later but <laughs> wait you're here forever oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. and then adele jesse and jim will be here and robin no it doesn't work it doesn't work as well <laughs> oh well <clears throat> we'll figure that one out um thank you so much for uh coming back to the show um of course this was i uh, love i love being on this show by the way oh i that that warms my heart we had so much fun last time and as soon as you mentioned oh i you know i went to the movie theater and saw batman forever with my family i was just like the a friendship has just uh, been born here <laughs> yes i love that it was actually a drive-in movie theater too makes oh. it even better and um and yeah I, I was eight years old when this film came out. So, you know, I think you're a similar age, right? So it's, yeah. uh, so it's, uh, for us, it was like prime 
we were the prime target audience for this film. So I have fond memories of it. Uh, absolutely. And I, I still, I still enjoy the movie. You know, I think mm -hmm. there is a period of time and it still happens with kind of the mainstream audience where people kind of poo poo on the, the Schumacher Batman movies, but it's like, no, Batman forever is actually pretty legit. Um, I, I will say that Batman and Robin is uh, something else entirely. It's still fond <laughs> memories, but I love it. Uh, objectively, objectively speaking, Batman forever is a better movie. Yeah, well, look, the the um, Scott and Lee Bachelor did the original script for this film mm -hmm. and they understood it. They understood the assignment, as the kids like to say on Twitter. <laughs> yes. And um, Academy Award winning screenwriter Akiva Goldsman came in mm -hmm. uh, and him being the sole writer of uh, Batman and Robin, we can kind of guess where some of the... Uh, the funkiness comes in, but you know, I agree with you. I think that, you know, I went through a period where I, as a kid, I loved this movie. I, I appreciated it. And then I went through a period where I was like, was it really good? And then, <laughs> and then now I appreciate it. And to be honest with you, I appreciate elements of Batman and Robin too. Um, you, you know, I, the, there's sort of, I, there was a time JJ where I thought that the 60s series was terrible. <laughs> uh, because it was campy and now i think the 60s series is brilliant so yeah i i'm in a similar boat where when uh when they finally released the the series on blu-ray a few years ago i i jumped at the chance to buy it and and i watched a bunch of them in a row and i was just like i i need a little bit of a palate cleanser i can't watch too many in a row <laughs> but at the same time i'm i i was just having a ball watching them you know it's they're very much of their time. And I think uh, Batman Forever is very much of its time. It is so 90s, it's crazy. You know, oh, yeah. The, the soundtrack and the visuals and, you know, uh, you know, Val Kilmer at his 90s angst, you know. <laughs> or the, 90s the, op the, op the opulence of this film is yeah. like very characteristic of, you know, I mean, you can go down to uh, or up to for me. Um, down to for you, um, Universal Studios City Walk in either Orlando or Hollywood. And you can kind of get a sense of what the 90s was like. Everything was built at a like huge scale. It yeah. was just like every, the bigger, the better. It was just like, there was so much optimism about the world. This was pre 9-11. Mm -hmm. It was just the time, right? And I yeah. think that this film like really reflects that time so well. And obviously, I mean, both you and I were children during that time. And I think anyone that, ha you know, anyone that was a child during any certain amount of time will have sort of rose colored glasses about the time when they were a child and think, sure. oh, that was, that was the best time. But meanwhile, it's because you were innocent and, and childlike. Um, <laughs> and the 90s, 90s had its problems for sure. Oh, yeah. But I, I think that it ge it genuinely was a, a time of great optimism, of feeling like we were invincible. It was post-Cold War, uh, pre-9-11. And you're right. I think Batman Forever just kind of, Joel Schumacher just kind of took that feeling and just kind of encapsulated it into a film. And it was like, here it is. And it's unabashedly what it is. It's, yeah. It was pretty great. It, it's, it's a... Uh it's a lot of fun to watch 
which um, as much as you or I might say that like the Nolan films are again, objectively better films. Mm -hmm. This one is a lot of fun. Like there's just this, like the fight scenes are cool. And like, you know, the, the Batmobile doing all sorts of, you know, driving up a wall is kind of cool, you know, like. Oh, I uh, loved that as a kid. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I, I loved, uh, you know, just the opening scene, just as a, as a kid, just my jaw was on the floor, just, Batman's suiting up. He grabs all the weapons and he's talking to Alfred for a second and the car is coming out of the ground. You're just watching this going, what am I watching right was, now? Was there was there a butt shot in that one? Did we get a bat butt shot in the opening scene of Batman Forever or was that later? Not in the opening scene and later when he puts on the silver suit. Oh, we, okay. get, we get yeah. full on bat butt. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Which again, it was a strange choice, but you know... Um, so let me let me ask you, you know, as a is this of the original Batman films, is this your favorite one of the, the first four? No, Batman 89 is my favorite film um, of them all. And so should I do a ranking really quick? Yeah, go for it. OK, cool. So Batman 89 is is my favorite Batman movie, period. Uh, yeah. um, I don't think it's my I don't think it's the best one. Um, I I make a distinction between the best Batman movie and my favorite Batman movie. Mm -hmm. The best Batman movie objectively is The Dark Knight without a question in my mind. It is just so well-made, well-executed film by Christopher Nolan, but Batman 89 is my favorite movie. And um, yeah, I make that distinction because there's just something special about it that makes, I've watched it more times. I just have an affinity for that film. And frankly, for me, it's aged a little bit better um, because The Dark Knight, much like Batman Forever, is a film of its time in the 90s. The Dark Knight is a film of its time in the 2000s. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, 13 years later, we're in a very different place in the mm-hmm. United States than, than we are, um, than we are back, back in 1995. So, um, yeah, I, I like Batman 89 the best. Uh, then I would say... Uh, Batman Forever and Batman Returns are are kind of tied. I would give Batman Forever a slight edge over Batman Returns. Mm-hmm. And I know that's sacrilegious to some people. I don't think, <laughs> I, I'm not in the um, Bill Raimi, Rick Shue camp of thinking Batman Returns is terrible. Don't <laughs> worry. Yeah. Um, but I just think Batman Forever kind of, it's it's it has just as many flaws as Batman Returns does. But it's um, it's just kind of more in the spirit of of a Batman movie, in my opinion, than than Batman Returns is. Mm-hmm. Then Batman Returns, which ironically enough is probably the film that I've the Batman film of the original four that I've seen the most. Um, I, oh, yeah. I watched that movie all the time as a kid. I don't know why. I watched it as a kid all the time, and it's <laughs> not exactly the most kid friendly uh, Batman movie. But one of my not neighbors. <laughs> One of my neighbors had the VHS and yeah. I borrowed it from them all the time and I just watched it over and over and over. So I love Batman Returns. And then Batman and Robin obviously is number four. That being said, um, like I mentioned earlier, there are things about Batman and Robin that I appreciate now um, mm-hmm. that I didn't before. Uh, viewing it as sort of like an updated modern version of the 60s series, which I also didn't like a few years ago. Uh, like a decade ago, but I have a new appreciation for now. So that is my ranking of the original four. Well, I 
I'm surprised to hear you say that uh, only because you're literally, I think the third person in my life, one of them being me and another person I can't think of at the moment that has said that 89 is their favorite over Batman forever. (laughs) Um, I said it in uh, when we did the commentary track last year with my friends that 89 was my favorite and they were all like Batman forever is the best. And they started yelling at me and everything. And you can go back and check that episode out. It's pretty great. Uh, (laughs) And I have a cat tail in my face. All right. Will you do something with your life? Thank you. My, my dog, (laughs) my dog might come and cuddle me in the middle of the podcast. Just FYI. Well, if you just see my hand like moving, that's why it's not (laughs) like, it's like JJ's hands doing it. Like he's stretching. Actually, I got my booster shot today. So my arm kind of hurts. Oh Um, man. But that's all right. Is that, if that's all I got, then I'm okay. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so I mean, I think that these, the, the funny thing to me about these four movies is that as much as one and two and three and four are linked sort of in some way, shape or form, either by actors or by design or whatever, you could, you could literally watch all four of them completely separately, almost as if they're not in a series and not be confused at all, which just doesn't happen anymore you know the you know uh my friend zachy and i were talking about um like the james bond movies that there used to just be like just sort of a loose kind of like q would be the same m would be the same but for the most part they were you know different adventures that you didn't need to see golden eye to understand tomorrow never dies and there's a there's a part of me that kind of misses that with the batman movies uh with Mm -hmm. superhero movies in general you know it's like I wish we could have another Iron Man movie, but we may not get one for a very, very long time, (laughs) at least not with a, you know, a young Tony Stark. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, on that note, hopefully the um, multiverse creates opportunities for new versions of those characters to come in and out of the MCU. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. But I will say that um, I agree with you. I think that, and, and another thing about the Bond movies is that they were wildly different in tone, right? So yeah, even, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the Pierce Brosnan sort of films. So even those films, um, GoldenEye is a very, has a very different tone than, you know, GoldenEye is kind of similar to the Timothy Dalton Bond films. They, oh, they're yeah. serious, you know, uh, James Bond. I mean, there's still a dash of Robert, uh, Roger Moore in there, yeah, yeah. But, but, but Pierce Brosnan is, is in that film, is clearly playing the sort of, is in the Sean Connery school of James Bond, right? Right. Um, whereas like uh, in uh, Die Another Day, his final James Bond movie goes completely the opposite direction. And it's like, it is it is a Roger Moore style <laughs> off the wall James Bond movie. And if yeah. you go back even further, you know, you've got like Dr. No and you've got Moonraker. I mean, it's like, totally different films um some of the same actors uh, in supporting roles um but totally different roles totally different tones and yeah it's the same with the original four batman movies these are four completely separate stories um i would argue four completely different tones even though uh burton's films and shoemaker's films share dna they're they're both very different from each other even within them yeah um but uh you know uh, you don't, it's not like a series of films where you have to watch every movie to kind of like understand what's going on. And I, I agree with you. I kind of do miss that. I think that it's, you know, 
there's a great tradition of that in in Hollywood. Indiana Jones is another example of that kind of a franchise. You know, yeah. you don't. It's it's a different adventure every single time. So, which we're getting a fifth one. So, um, sometimes <laughs> with with a with a 95 year old Harrison Ford, but. Um, but yeah, so um, so yeah, I agree with you. I think that there's something really special about that. There's something really special about being able to watch a film and not have to like worry about what happened in the previous ones. And that's you know that's something that I, I both love and hate about the uh, the MCU a little bit. It's like if you were to tune tune into Hawkeye now, you, you know I think you'd get it, but there's a lot that you would be a little confused on. It's like. I was like, well, you should at least watch the Avengers movies, uh, but also yeah. Captain America: Civil War. Uh, you know what? Now that I think about it, you might also want to watch, you know, <laughs> like uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier too, or something. You know, um, it's 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 a lot, and I <clears throat> and there's something nice about having Batman Forever that I can put on, turn my brain off, and just enjoy the movie. Um, but I do like that the movie it it takes itself seriously when it needs to take itself seriously. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've said this in other episodes, but, you know, it's literally the first time Bruce Wayne is actually the protagonist. He gets the arc in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's he's the one that has the emotional journey that um, Michael Keaton just didn't have in the other movies. And that was by design because Keaton and Burton were like, oh, no, Batman's a private guy. Just keep him in the shadows. You know, we'll get to him when we get to him, which was it's not a it's not the wrong take for Batman, but it it kind of is when your movie's called Batman. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. barely in the damn thing. Um, yep. Whereas with this one, it's like Val Kilmer actually had um, a story to sink his teeth into. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my favorite moments in any Batman movie is when he's, you know, uh, you know, reliving the death of his parents. And he says, I killed them. And Alfred's like, what did you say? And he's like, oh, you know, he killed them two face. And he's like, no, that's not what you said. And, it's such a haunting moment that says so much about the Bruce Wayne character that we hadn't gotten up to that point. Yeah. I was always very confused by that line in the <laughs> film. And it's because there is missing footage in this film. Yes. Um, <laughs> Schumacher, however you say his name. Yeah, Schumacher. Yeah, yeah, Schumacher. So Joel Schumacher released the Schumacher cut. We want to see it. But yeah, there's there's a whole subplot that was cut out of the film where uh, basically it reveals that Bruce blames himself for the death of his parents because he's the one that wanted to go to the, insisted on going to the movie theater to see the film mm-hmm. and um, and all of that stuff. And there's a red journal that he reads as a kid and it says, uh, you know, Bruce really wants to go to the movies tonight, so we're going. And it basically breaks Bruce's heart and makes him think that he was the one that if, if he didn't do that, he wouldn't, uh, his parents would still be alive. And so that's where that line comes from. That's, you know, when uh, Bruce Wayne says, I killed them. Yeah. He, he's convinced that he's the reason his parents are dead. And it's, um, it's a really interesting take on it. Um, like I said, the bachelors understood the assignment um, of this, you know, um, yeah. they, they got it. They understood the, uh, the pathos. And I think that it's, I always admire writers, both in film and comics, 
that take risks with Batman. Um, you know, a lot of people hate Tom King's run on Batman. I say his run because it's still going on with Batman Catwoman um, yeah. coming out. But a lot of, but I actually really admire it because I think that he he takes uh, risks where where they need to be taken. You know. Yep. And I think the same is here. It's like the thing that drives Batman is his sort of passion for justice based on what happened for him as a kid and him making up for lost time. And it's like, well, what happened, what would happen if Bruce, if Batman um, uh, resolved those feelings? And I think that's what's brilliant about the script. Mm -hmm. um, and what's brilliant about the story is that it goes there. It, it kind of is like, it, it, it takes the risks of letting Batman grow. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's so great because we get, I think even without the footage, I think that the film does a good job of conveying at least that much of the story. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the, uh, the ending when he says, you know, I'm not Batman because I have to be now because I choose to be mm -hmm. um, is mm -hmm. really uh, such a, such a powerful line because you feel like, Oh, here's a guy who's forging his own destiny as, as a hero now. Um, yeah. Because it, it does kind of tie into the first Batman when you know Michael Keaton says to Kim Basinger, he says, "He's like, I, it's some, it's not something I want to do. It's something I have to do because nobody mm -hmm. else can," which mm -hmm. is is so like twisted in a way that he thinks that nobody else can do this but me. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there is kind of a payoff here a little bit, even though that's not quite the same movie, <laughs> same story, whatever. Yeah, uh, there are there are some through lines, but it, um, but but it was meant to be the same story. Um, yeah. Do you, do you mind if I just give a little bit of history of this film? I I freakishly know things, JJ, about this movie. <laughs> no, and, no, yeah. And uh, and you can fill in where where you know as well, because I'm sure you know some information. So this was originally supposed to be Tim Burton's third film, mm -hmm. and the studio immediately after the negative response that parents gave to Batman Returns, and there was a whole media controversy over it. There were talk shows dedicated you can look up clips about kids talking about how they were scared uh at batman returns to which i say wimps uh, just kidding um i agree no but <laughs> yeah but seriously it's like come on really um but yeah so warner brothers immediately kind of took control uh and initially tim burton and michael keaton uh were gonna come back and very quickly, Tim Burton realized that he wouldn't have the same level of control over the film. Warner Brothers hired The Bachelors to write the script. Uh, they came up with a story. Uh, and eventually, it was kind of the way that Tim Burton describes it, you know, he was eventually kind of pushed out and basically told, look, you can stick around as a producer, but, you know, yeah. we're going to go in a different direction. And that's when they brought Joel Schumacher in. And initially, even after Joel Schumacher came in, um, Michael Keaton was supposed to be Batman still. Uh, there are uh, pictures that are floating around the internet of a panther suit, uh, the Batman Forever panther suit with Michael Keaton's um, body casing. You can you can Google it and find it. It's, yeah. it's kind of interesting. It's kind of cool too, because it's gray, even yeah. though that wasn't the intention. Uh, they intended it to be all black. Um, but it kind of looks more like a traditional comics Batman costume, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, there were uh, 
it 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 went as far as as um as as Tim Burton kind of having a, a dream cast for this film. Mm -hmm. uh, he wanted Billy D. Williams to return as Two Face, and he wanted Robin Williams to play the Riddler, which yeah. would have been very very different. I mean, might have been similar. Look, Robin Williams had just come off of Aladdin, where he <laughs> where he where he did his thing. Did he? Did he get an Oscar nomination for that? I don't think so. Um, no. Cause I, cause I don't think voice actors get recognized by the Academy, unfortunately. Yeah. Which is a shame because a lot of them deserve it. Oh, well, I mean, not only did he deserve the nomination, he deserved to win that year. Well, <laughs> for yeah, that, yeah. For, that, yeah. for Aladdin, but he, um, but you know, it might've been a little bit similar, but because that's how he was. But of course we know that, and we know that Robin Williams, uh, was an incredible dramatic actor even mm -hmm. at the time he had just done dead poet society um and i'm sure that he could have brought a, a little bit of pathos it's not to say jim carrey couldn't have brought it either i mean jim carrey's turned in some great um dramatic performances as well of course uh, but but jim carrey was hired to be jim carrey in the batman movie <laughs> yes <laughs> uh he was at the height of his jim carreyness and i you know i i'm not complaining i love jim carrey i love his humor he makes me laugh every time he's on the screen he's yeah. just he's very funny he did a he did a really sad joe biden impression uh last year in the election for snl but um but yeah but overall uh i think that he's hilarious so little little background little history there for you tim yeah. burton was originally supposed to direct he wanted billy d williams and robin williams uh to be the villains and um and Michael Keaton was supposed to return as as Batman. So I, you know, and it would have been a completely different movie from top to bottom, um, you know, which, you know, and I, and I and I do love to play the the what if game, like what if we had gotten that third Batman? And sometimes I think what if we'd gotten <clears throat> Joel Schumacher's third Batman, like with the Scarecrow? Mm. And because apparently like Nicolas Cage was in the running for that um and, then, and he you know, wanted and he wanted to go dark too yeah yeah he i mean schumacher has made some really dark movies oh he exclusively made dark movies up to yeah. this point i mean you look at something like you know like lost boys is similar mm -hmm. to batman forever in the sense that it's very stylized it's very of its time and but it's still it's kind of dark and scary and you know a little you know a little sexy too you know because you get Nicole Kidman in a you know a little black dress trying to seduce Batman on top of police headquarters. Yeah, um, but you know it's. I think what uh, what what really helped make the movie was is is the cast. You know, I mm -hmm. I'll I'll be the first to say that I'm not a big fan of Tommy Lee Jones's Two Face. I think he's. He, I mean, essentially, he's trying to out Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey, and mm -hmm. it just doesn't. And it stinks because it's like, you know, this this could have been Two-Face, man. Like Tommy mm -hmm. Lee Jones as Two-Face could have been something special. But instead, mm -hmm. you know, they were just like, ham it up, go crazy. It's a comic book. Mm -hmm. And and mm -hmm. the funny part is that Jim Carrey turns in some genuinely scary moments in the film mm -hmm. when he kills his uh, boss. Stickly. And, yeah, Stickly. And, you know, and it's it's genuinely scary the way he kind of looks at the camera and the way he's, you know, when he goes home and he's, and he's talking to the weird Riddler doll thing that lives in his house. You know? JJ, JJ, do the caffeine will kill you. 
<laughs> Caffeine will kill you. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, like Jim Carrey really, for as much as he's Jim Carrey in the movie, he's also, you know, he's scary and he's kind of sad. You know, at the end of the movie, when he gets defeated, you know, he's just, you know, why can't I kill you line is just so, so like sad. <laughs> and, and I guess I never realized it when I was a kid. Like, there's a lot of fight scenes in the movie that are really cool. But like, technically, Batman, he never actually fights Two-Face or Riddler. I mean, like a little bit in the beginning with Two-Face, but for the most part, he's just fighting the goons the whole time. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. He doesn't really fight. Uh, he doesn't do fisty cuffs with either of them. Yeah. Um, I will say that uh, I have a couple negatives about the movie that surprise people a lot. One being, I don't like the Panther suit. I think it looks weird. Mm -hmm. uh, I do love the sonar suit at the end. I think mm -hmm. that's one of the coolest things ever. Mm -hmm. And I don't like the music. I think Elliot Goldenthal just, that theme doesn't hit me the same way that Danny Elfman or even Hans Zimmer years later. Do you mind? Um, do you mind if we talk about this for a second? Because yeah. I have a particular beef with Warner Brothers. Um, they kind of got it with Superman for a time, and then they didn't. Not saying okay. Let me let me back. Let me let me explain what I'm what I mean. Okay. Um, back in 2017, Justice League came out, mm -hmm. and uh, Danny Elfman was asked. Danny Elfman did the score for the justice league cut as it's yeah. referred to on twitter yeah, yeah and he was asked um you know which batman theme are you using and he said the batman theme and they were like which one and he goes there's only one batman theme it's mm -hmm. the one that i wrote right and i know that a lot of people were put off by that they were like oh how arrogant and stuff but danny elfman is 100 percent correct yes when you go to a star wars movie um and you're watching a main Star Wars film. You know, I'm not talking about like spinoffs or whatever. Um, the Star Wars score is the same, whether yeah. it's Anakin Skywalker or Luke Skywalker or Rey uh, in, in the scope of the story, the score, the main theme sort of remains the same. If you go to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, you'll hear that, you know, you'll hear elements of that theme mm -hmm. um, throughout it because that is the recognizable Star Wars theme. Yeah. And I do, do not understand why Warner Brothers has the most iconic, perfect Batman theme. And he's, and you know, a lot of people isolate that quote, but he explained himself. He said, look, Hans did some really cool things with the Dark Knight trilogy. He mm -hmm. didn't really create a iconic Batman theme. And the truth is Hans Zimmer didn't create an iconic Batman theme. Right. Um, you know, you don't hum along to it when you're reading Batman comics the way that you do um, uh, the way that you do Danny Elfman's theme. Yeah. And um, so, you know, and then Junkie XL's theme was just intense. You know, it was just like, yeah, bam, 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 bam. <laughs> yeah a lot of percussion. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I like I like what um, uh, uh, Giacchino is doing with uh, the Batman. I think it's really cool. But again, oh, yeah. why have a different theme? Like going back to James Bond, he has the same theme as the years progress. And yes, there's different um, there's different composers that come on board the films and do their own thing with it. 
Um, you know, the Craig films had their own little thing, but they had the same dunna dunna because that's James, that's the James Bond theme. Right. And so, you know, they got this, Warner Brothers got this with Superman. They kept John Williams's Superman score um, uh, from the 70s films with Superman Returns. Mm -hmm. But then, but they, but again, when Zack Snyder came on board, they did a uh they did a new score with Hans Zimmer and I will say the Man of Steel score is beautiful it's oh, yeah. absolutely stunning that theme is beautiful yes um and it's very you know uh it's very fitting with that film so I don't mm -hmm. think that it's and again Hans's work with The Dark Knight is fitting for those films yeah but I just think why I change the score and you know um it's it goes back to Warner has a difficult time saying no to its directors. And yeah. that's just always been its, it's been its greatest strength because we get works of art like the Dark Knight trilogy, like the Batman looks like it is, um, et cetera. But it's also its greatest weakness because there's a lack of continuity. And it, there's a lack of, uh, I, is iconoclasm the right word that I'm looking for? I don't I think know. So. I think so, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, that's my that's my take on music in in films. I I do I I do agree with you because I think you know when you you know when we go see like the, the, the even the new Jurassic Park movies the Jurassic World movies they still have that da na 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 theme in it, mm -hmm. um, and you know they have and even uh, Mission Impossible is another example when they did the new movie back in or not the new movie uh you know, geez, there's been like 14 of them uh back in 96 mm -hmm. they still used the tv show theme song mm -hmm. um and even i guess uh barry sonnenfeld when they did the first adams family movie he's like no 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 this is different from the tv show we're not using the theme song and i think like the producers in the studio were like you got to use the adams family theme song because yeah. that's that's the adams family and it's mm -hmm. it's recognizable immediately you know da -na -na -na, you know everybody it's like oh everybody's in on it but mm -hmm. you know it's it's not it, but they do that a lot with these comic book movies it's it's sort of funny to me that the mcu spider-man movies have been using the cartoon theme a more orchestral version of it but you know mm -hmm. it's like hey it's you know i'm but watching that, that is the most iconic version of spider-man yeah i i'm watching i'm watching the trailers and all of a sudden i'm going spider-man spider-man you know <laughs> like mm -hmm. um it's just it's it's fun to get pumped up with that and i think you know with the danny elfman doing kind of the darker batman theme you know i mean that's like the lego batman movies that's the theme that you hear you know it's mm -hmm. it's it's been iconic for 30 odd years now because it's it just it's it sounds and feels like batman elliot goldenthal in batman forever and batman and robin it just didn't feel like batman mm -hmm. um you know, it's it's fine, it, you know, and I don't want to knock him and his hard work, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, I'm just like, yeah, but there's a reason when, like, you know, they did, like, the OnStar commercials in the early 2000s, they mm -hmm. went back to the Danny Elfman theme, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's the most iconic. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's, but so I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page a little bit there with, mm -hmm. uh, with those. Um, what do you, you know, so this movie introducing Dick Grayson and Robin, I, the funny thing watching the movie is that Dick Grayson, I mean, I guess he's supposed to be 17, 
at least that's why he would need to be taken care of by somebody like Bruce, you know, being taken in, but he's 25 for sure. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's just like the, the 60s show. They, they never define his age, but you're, you're supposed to believe Burt Ward is probably not quite 16 yet. Yeah, yeah. Even even though he was a twenty-something-year-old man when they made and, that show, and, and Bert Ward is much more believable than Chris O'Donnell. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I I think what always bugged me about the movie was that we didn't get a lot of Robin. Like Robin's not in the movie very much. Yeah, but uh, but I think that Dick Grayson does have a good arc in it. That I do too. You 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 see his uh, you see him grow from just this pissed off dude that wants to kill Two-Face to finally understanding what Batman was talking about the whole time. Uh, even though Batman does kind of let him die, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and Schumacher um, does a great job and the bachelors and the Akiva Goldsman it's underrated. It's an underrated uh, strength of this film. The, 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 they have a full arc for Bruce Wayne, Batman right they've got like a full-on story for bruce but they also incorporate dick's origin and and seamlessly and even even help it support kind of the things that bruce is going through so it's really um that is a really hard needle to thread oh yeah um when you when you're writing stuff and they do an excellent job at doing that in this film so um yeah, Robin could have been in it more. I agree. I think like, but you know, I remember being a kid and being really excited for Robin to be in the movies. And then when he only shows up at the end, it's like, oh man, like, you know, I was disappointed, but, um, but yeah, but it makes sense in terms of the story. Yeah, no, it, it, it fits for the story. It just, I felt like that Robin costume, I really liked. It doesn't get much screen time, you know, it's in yeah. the promotional material more than it's in the movie. Um, but I like that, uh, you know, he does get his moment, you know, with Two-Face towards the end. Um, and I think that what Chris O'Donnell was good at was having that kind of believable, like, fury that this mm. that he watched his parents die. And it's different, like, with him being a different age than Bruce was. So he's processing mm. it differently. And it's such a great scene in the alley when he's fighting that neon gang. And then Batman shows up, which I always thought was super cool that just just looking at Batman, they all freak out and run. Uh, Mm -hmm. Shows how awesome Batman is. But uh, (laughs) when, you know, he starts like punching him and he says, you know, why didn't you tell Two-Face you were at the circus? And and he finally calms down and he says, if Bruce Wayne could have given his life for your family, he would have. Mm -hmm. And it's just Mm -hmm. so like it's so touching because, you know, he means it. Like if if Mm -hmm. I had died and that meant that your parents lived. I could have, that would have been a good death, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is kind of part of Tom King's run, by the way, you know, this is a good death. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, and you, so you see kindred spirits in them and I think it helps that Dick is older because if he was just a kid, it'd be a little bit harder to swallow. And even nowadays, like talking about like kids sidekicks, it's, it's tough. You know, it's part of the reason that Damian Wayne is the way he is in the comic books. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it's like, okay, well, now it doesn't look as bad if we're putting a kid in danger <laughs> versus in the 40s and 50s. They were like, yeah, throw a bright costume on him and toss him at the bad guys. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, um, totally. But, but it's, uh, you know, but it's, but then again, like Spider-Man was a teenager, you know, like, 
doesn't matter. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh, but I I like that they they gave him a story and they gave um, and I think Alfred has some of his best stuff in the movie too. You know, he gets to mm-hmm. he gets to be the parent to both of them and the mediator a little bit between both of them. You know, like hey, like this kid just wants some guidance. That's what I'm doing. Um, and I think it's uh, you know, and yeah, I love man. Shout out to shout out to Michael Go, um, yeah. yeah, who who has his best material in the Schumacher films between the two of them. A hundred percent. Alfred's stuff in Batman and Robin is is definitely the the highlight of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, Pat Hingle just is just kind of wasted space as Commissioner Gordon, <laughs> which is unfortunate because he's a good actor. But yeah, uh, or he was a good actor. You know, rest in peace. But mm-hmm. I, I think. Uh, they just he was sort of like the commissioner in the in the 60s show he's mm-hmm. like you know i don't really i can't really do anything here i'll just wait till batman gets here yeah um, but and, and then truth be told i didn't like the gordon character until the dark knight movies and i didn't realize why until rewatching them going oh that's because jim gordon actually does stuff in yeah. those movies yeah. yeah jim gordon is like a, a central character in fact uh there's a part of the dark knight where jim gordon's the main character pretty much oh yeah yeah he he owns pretty much uh, act three throughout the film mm-hmm. or throughout the end of the film mm-hmm. um you know and it, it we can't like talk about batman forever without talking about oh how friggin' amazing no nicole kidman is to look at and think about <laughs> and talk about yeah um, man she's i mean she, it's such like the height of 90s-ness where she's just like, she's the psychiatrist in the movie who's going to help Bruce, you know, deal with his trauma, but she's going to do it while wearing a little black dress and, you know, (laughs) and bright red lipstick, you know, (laughs) it's just. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very 90s. Um, Yeah. Like the 90s was a time where like, you know, even if you watch like family sitcoms from the, from the early 90s, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really like, obnoxious sex jokes in them and stuff like that that's like so you know it's not a surprise that that in batman forever you have a very sexy nicole kidman Mm -hmm. um who's the psychiatrist you know um yeah like you said wearing where it wearing psychiatrist attire little black dress and and (laughs) and and heels you know um and so uh but yeah it's um yeah i mean but but all that aside nicole kidman's terrific in this film um and this was pre this was pre uh divorce from tom cruise nicole kidman um when she would you know get let out of the the uh, never mind not gonna say anymore um (laughs) i saw um, the little red dot on your forehead yeah not gonna not gonna (laughs) not gonna say anymore let's just say she wasn't with um someone that she was with Uh, she was still with someone that she's not with anymore yeah um and you know we we kind of we we didn't get the sort of oscar caliber nicole kidman um until after that but you saw glimpses of nicole just being a great actress in this movie she's got great chemistry with val kilmer Mm -hmm. um she's uh you know she's an integral part of the plot she's not just and and you know great i i have to say with the exception of batman and robin um, all of the love interests in 
in these films have an integral, but they're not just damsels in distress or uh, objects of affection for Bruce. Um, they're, they're integral parts of the story. And in this case, you know, uh, Dr. Chase Meridian, who's Kidman's character, is helping Bruce process his trauma as a, mm. as a psychiatrist and kind of working with her uh, while, so, while using the trope from the Superman films um, with Margot Kidder and Christopher Reeve, where uh, Chase Meridian is simultaneously, um, except this time I'd say she's simultaneously in love with Batman and Bruce Wayne, and she's kind of in a dilemma about what to do about it. Yeah. Um, and we get the infamous bat smile. Um, <laughs> uh, when she tells him that, that she's in love with someone else. And yeah. it's when she, she tells Batman she's in love with someone else. And um, Batman is like, no, you're not. It's me still. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm still, which, by the way, by the way, I just have to point out the original script called for a sex scene. And um, said that Batman would still be wearing his cowl. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, man! They should have kept that. Maybe, maybe too, maybe too much for how much they were trying to get away from like the the overt sexuality oh, that was in Batman Returns. It was. But... It it would have been too much, man. That would have been. <laughs> that just would have been. Um... <laughs> that just would have been wild. But yeah, that's. Um... I'm glad that they took that out. I'm glad that they took that out for sure. Yeah. I I kind of, um, on that note a little bit, I don't know if I ever really want to see like an R-rated version of Batman. No. Like, you know, it's like we've gotten a little bit of that in some of the animated movies, but even then it just feels gratuitous, you know? It's, it's l- let me just, with mainstream comic book characters, it is not sexy. It is jarring when that happens. Yeah. You know, when I was reading, um, when I mean, y- you recall, if you're watching the show, you probably know as well. Um, but um, the new 52 Catwoman number one. Yes. I remember turning those pages and being like, oh, 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 oh. I just, like, I just, it's just like, yeah, it's too much, too much, too much. <laughs> I, I remember just staring at it going, that's weird. And plus, this is like a new reality where they don't know who each other are. And I don't know, like, you know, whatever your fetish is is whatever but when it's depicted very overtly like there's no there's no like in the shadows what are they doing it's like that's right there <laughs> it's like uh it's like cut to the curtains you know uh, yeah, that's exactly. you, you, you need a you need cut to the curtains moments it's uh it's too much yeah so i you know i'm um i'm all for uh romance in superhero movies i think that it it's an essential ingredient yeah. in fact for the most part sometimes you can get away i unless it's uh unless it's an intentionally like platonic relationship uh depicted which can work as well mm-hmm. but i i like i like romance superhero movies i think it's a elements of just it works i i always liked chase meridian for that reason i thought that you know she like she she seemed like a good compliment to Batman, mm-hmm. uh, to Bruce Wayne, you know, somebody that, and maybe in hindsight, it's not the healthiest of relationships. You really shouldn't be dating your psychiatrist. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's like, I think their first scene together is is so 
is so interesting and she kind of mm. is, is reading him you know like he's like oh you know what you got a bat thing up here and she's like oh that's a rorschach painting and then he's like oh crap <laughs> yeah um and then you know even at the at the end he gives her back the the dream doll and he says i you know you know i, I don't need this anymore mm-hmm. it, it's just a sweet little moment um mm-hmm. that you know you, you get the sense that like okay like if this is the last Batman movie we're going to see, which I guess in, you know, that universe, maybe it is, you know, with mm. the flash going back to the Michael Keaton, Batman. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's, you get the feeling like, okay, everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's sort of the funny thing, you know, I always think about with like the dark Knight rises and some of these other movies, like, I'm like, it's, it's okay for the heroes to have a happy ending. Yes. Like, Batman returns kind of has a, it, it's almost a to be continued type of ending. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and in it, fact, in fact, JJ, we note this DC films legend Nicole Kidman, because she is also Atlanta in in the DC extended universe. Oh, yeah. yeah. And oh, we discussed Aquaman last we, time. We did. Too. We did. So this is coming full circle. <laughs> um, but um, Nicole Kidman um, in, the, in that film, something that I really enjoyed was in the comics, Atlanta's dead. Yeah. In they they did not kill her in spoiler alert in Aquaman. And I actually like that because it's like to your point about superheroes being allowed to have a semblance of happiness. It's like let Arthur have his mom, you know? Yeah. Let let um let her be alive. Like he can he can still be a compelling hero with without dead parents, you know? Yeah. Um, and we'll see what happens in in Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom coming out next year. But well, that was that was the other thing with that movie, real quick, is that I we might have even talked about this before. But mm-hmm. I thought his dad was gonna die when like the tidal wave hit them. Mm-hmm. I was like, they're gonna kill off his dad, and now he's gonna go on his revenge story. And when mm-hmm. they didn't do that, I was very pleasantly surprised. And he still yeah. he still went on the hero's journey. Yeah, you know, I mean that's that's Luke Skywalker, isn't it? He at the beginning he thinks his father's dead. He thinks that mm-hmm. Darth Vader's the one that killed him. And then his aunt and uncle are murdered and he's like, well, now I have nothing here. I'm off on my hero's journey. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you don't always have to, the hero doesn't always have to go through tragedy. I mean, I guess it helps, but mm-hmm. it's, it's nice when things kind of do work out because as, as much as, you know, maybe it's not as cool or it's not as good of a story. It, it, that does happen in real life you know like yeah <laughs> good things do happen to good people most most people are a mixed bag in life you know tragedy it's not all um you know you go through hardships or whatever but um but for the most part most people you know they 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 have their parents um you know etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah um you know yeah it's you know and i and i like that uh you know, we feel like, uh, um, you know, you, you know, the, I think the heroes can get their happy ending. You know, Robin gets closure by the end of the movie that Mm -hmm. his parents killer has just been killed by Batman who told him not to kill the entire movie. Uh, I still have issues with that if you couldn't tell. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, you know, real, real quick here, let's let's get into some of the something that the Batman movies are known for more than anything is is the is the vehicles. Like mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. like I I gotta admit that I was not the biggest fan of the 
And as a kid, I loved the Batmobile. I thought the Batmobile looked so cool. And as I got older, I was like, I don't think I like this anymore. But as the years have gone on, I've, I've definitely softened on it. Like, it's just, it's so striking and interesting. And, and it has the same look with, like, the Batwing and the Batboat. Like, they just, mm-hmm. they just have this really cool, like, I don't know, like, it, it matches the tone of the city, right? It's bright, it's interesting, and it really grabs your attention. And yeah. I, was, I always thought it was cool that the hubcap, like, the Bat logo didn't move with the mm-hmm. hubcap, you know? I thought mm-hmm. that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I liked, um, I really liked uh, the Batmobile design in this film, not so much in the next film, <laughs> but, um, but I liked this, this one. This version of it was really cool. Um, I do miss the Burton Batmobile, though. Um, yeah. But I, but I think for the world that Joel, Joel Schumacher created, you had to do something a little bit different with the Batmobile, you know? Yeah. I, and JJ yeah. to sell the toys you needed to, um, <laughs> you, uh, you needed to change the Batmobile. So, yeah. yeah. It's, mm-hmm. which is interesting to me that Nolan kind of got away with not changing it. <laughs> you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was more story-based because it was like the Batmobile and then the Bat Pod and then the, the Bat that he used. Um, but those all kind of fit the story. Whereas mm-hmm. in these movies, it was like, yeah, you know, as a new actor playing Batman, let's give him a new, let's give him a new car. And, and I think at the time they were thinking like James Bond because every time there was a new James Bond, he would get new gadgets. And mm-hmm. um, every time, you know, there's a new, you know, because you don't really have that with like, with like Superman or Spider Man or even really the X Men to an extent. They're all kind of stagnant in their costumes, which makes sense. I mean, Batman's sort of like Iron Man in a way where he's constantly re changing his costume up and changing his gadgets up. Um, so you kind of believe that Bruce Wayne would tinker, um, same with the Tony Stark tinkers. Um, it's like my, my one major gripe with the MCU movies. It's like, just take, take Peter back to the red and blue, you know, like, yeah, no, I agree. That, that, that homecoming suit was the best Spider-Man on film suit. It's, yeah. it's, it was so good. And I don't know why they, they, you know, gone back on it it's like you know but anyway uh it, you know what what's what bugs me the most is uh yeah and this is just a gripe i have with all of the marvel movies at this point is i'm sick of the nano masks like can we just yeah. like i you know i miss when chadwick boseman took off his mask and mm-hmm. it felt like there was weight to it mm-hmm. um and it just like like kept it's like captain marvel and uh, Star Lord, Spider Man, Iron Man, you know, uh, Black Panther, all these characters. I'm just like, can we stop with the fucking <laughs> techno mask? Like, yeah, it just, it just uh, you know, it's part of the reason. Like, I go back and I, you know, and I love in uh, the Batman trailer, we see him take off the mask and he's still got the black eye, eye makeup on. <laughs> yeah, it's not like Batman Returns where, you know, Michael Keaton's looking over and then looks down and then all of a sudden his eye makeup's gone and he takes his mask off that well when the camera yeah. looked away he took out a baby wipe and he just like <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um so this i i think that this movie you know it do i think it's like the the greatest movie ever made no of course not but mm-hmm. as far as batman movies go i think batman forever it's it's severely underrated i think people tend to you know, if it wasn't Michael Keaton, they tend to overlook like, oh, yeah, Val Kilmer was Batman or 
oh yeah yeah wasn't that the one with blah 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 it's like no no this if you want to sit down if you've got two hours to spare this is a great way to do it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah no it's it's a lot of fun i really enjoy it can we talk about jim carrey's riddler for a second because i uh, feel like we'd we would be remiss if we didn't talk about that yes yes we can absolutely <laughs> I um I have a really funny story about Jim Carrey's Riddler. So there's a there's a scene in the film where um he uh <laughs> he blows up the Bat Cave and at the end he shouts Joy Gasm. Yeah. <laughs> and um and I was eight years old. I had no idea what that meant. Had no <laughs> clue at all. And I started running around my house going joy gasm everywhere. <laughs> and, and my mom, my mom was like, my mom literally looked at me and was like, yeah, buddy, uh, you probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just yeah. like, just like dead, deadpan, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> and so anyways, um, shout out to my mom who was looking out for looking out for me. <laughs> saying I, something uh inappropriate at school or something you know yeah yeah uh that would have been an interesting parent teacher conference though we're like so what, what is he <laughs> talking about so he's just quoting batman it's fine <laughs> um yeah. I, you know and i think you know the, the riddler is such a um overlooked character sometimes because they you know it's like people like point out like the like oh well he's like you know, giving away his identity with the the riddles or whatever. Um, I I always liked. I always thought that the riddles in this film were, in a funny way, like I I in a lot of ways I feel like the Dark Knight is almost a remake of Batman '89, mm-hmm. and it feels almost like the Batman might be a little bit of that with the Riddler, because you have these clues that are being left for well, in this case Batman, not for Bruce Wayne. But I also think that that was something that was overlooked in the other movies that like the Spider-Man movies did really well, where it's like, well, the villains should have a personal connection to the hero. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's like Batman has a has an enemy, but the Riddler is actually going after Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. you know, to the mm-hmm. point where he copies his look. You know, he, he says later, how's my mole? You know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, Bruce puts on his glasses Enigma puts on the same exact pair of glasses. Um, it's so... And again, I, I I wonder if that like you know release the Schumacher cut footage would get into that more that you know Nigma is just obsessed with being Bruce Wayne you know mm-hmm. is, is he in love with him is he just crazy or is is there something else going on there and could and, be all of the above yeah and I think that Jim Carrey sells that really really well and it took me a long time like I did I, that kind of went over my head when I was a kid that. And then I got older, I was rewatching it going, wait a minute, they have the same haircut. He's mm-hmm. wearing the same suit. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I get it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Jim Carrey's so flawless in that in that particular scene, copying Val Kilmer's mannerisms and, yeah. and all of that sort of thing. It's really, really brilliant. No, Jim Carrey is such an iconic screen presence. Um, he's mm-hmm. one of the actors that I think of that when... He comes on the screen. It's like, oh my gosh, he's here, you know. Yep. And um, he was so terrific in this fil- film um, for for what the performance is. And like I said before, he was he was uh, hired to be the mask, uh, to be uh, uh, Lloyd Christmas, 
uh, every other Jim, Ace Ventura, every yeah. other Jim Carrey movie from the early 90s, that is what Warner Brothers wanted in this Batman film. They wanted that box office magic at the time yeah. uh, for this film, and they got it. I think that Jim Carrey does that, and he manages to incorporate some of the nuance that you brought up as well and, and make it a really memorable performance. So, he, um, yeah, I, I love watching uh, the behind the scenes stuff with him where mm -hmm. he's, he's, you can tell he's passionate about the character, but then he'll flip into his Jim Carrey-ness where he talks about like, oh, I, you know, I, I wanted to bring all these ideas to the table and I wasn't sure if they'd listen to me. I'd say something to Joel and he'd be like, oh, that's great. I'm gonna tell everybody I thought of it, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's just funny, like you can see that, you know, he he took the role seriously. I'm sure he takes all his roles seriously. But yeah. it's it's like, but at the same time, like there's a silliness to it that yeah, that he was allowed to do. And I think that that was great too. The less said about um the less said about uh Tommy Lee Jones, the better. Just put I, it that way. I I just think it almost would have been it would have been more interesting if there had been more of a balancing act where Riddler's the zany one and he's like, you know, the, mm -hmm. the cool one, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um but again it's it's Tommy Lee Jones it's and not even that he didn't understand the assignment I think that's what they told him to do they yeah just like go for it be crazy and yeah. he was like okay fine and uh which is funny that he and Jim Carrey very famously did not get along behind the scenes yeah but like I think they they kind of have good chemistry like they work together well at least mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. they're kind of both being a joker impression um yeah. and, and I I would have loved Whereas Jim Carrey would have probably been a terrific Joker, uh, mm -hmm. in a, and still could be a terrific Joker, mm -hmm. um, but um, uh, Tommy Lee Jones probably not so much. <laughs> he he, so, he already did that. That's basically what his Two Face was. He was a Caesar Romero Joker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it uh, didn't really work out. But yeah, I I I think I'm a I liked Jim Carrey as the Riddler. I'm really looking forward to Paul Dano's performance because I think you're going to get a much more, I know the look is quite different and jarring, but I think you're going to get a much more um, comic book-ish accurate version of the Riddler. And I, I'm, I can't, I'm looking forward to seeing it. So am I, I think, uh, I, I, I think that this movie is going to be, yeah, I'm probably going to say this a bunch of times throughout these episodes, but it's going to be, it's going to be something special and I'm really looking forward yes. to that. Yeah, and we're only weeks away now. I know it's crazy. Um, mm -hmm. So I did have a couple of questions for you. Okay, all right. I had given you ahead of time. Um, mm -hmm. So, what is your favorite non-Batman movie starring Batman? Which is just a more complicated way of saying what's your favorite Val Kilmer movie <laughs> that isn't Batman? Yeah. So um, I actually have an out of left field choice here. Okay. Um, legitimately, my favorite Val Kilmer movie. That isn't Batman Forever. Actually, I would say that this is my favorite Val Kilmer movie, bar none. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, okay, let me let me call out some of the obvious like ones that are you know that that everybody likes. Tombstone. I haven't seen it in years. I mm -hmm. I can't. You know, I um, obviously there. I I remember some of the iconic lines, but like I haven't seen it in a very long time. He plays Jim Morrison in The Doors, um, yeah. really really well, of course. The Saint, or the Saint, was he in Heat? He wasn't yes. in Heat. No, oh, he, was, he wasn't. He wasn't he was Heat. Heat. Yeah. So these are these are movies. Um, some of them I haven't seen in in quite a while. The 
the film though, for me, that I think is the strongest uh, Val Kilmer movie and my favorite is the 1998 animated classic, The Prince of Egypt. Um, oh. Yes, absolutely uh, terrific. He plays Moses mm-hmm. and God. Yes. <laughs> Funny enough. Um, yeah. So he does both the voice of Moses and the voice of God, which is an interesting choice. Um, but, um, you know, Moses is kind of this very larger than life kind of iconic, literally biblical figure. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that's how Charlton Heston played him in the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, is this kind of larger than life figure. Val Kilmer went for a different approach and it's to make him more human. Um, So, you know, he portrays Moses in a moment of extreme vulnerability um, when he murders um, or when he kills the Egyptian guard Mm -hmm. uh, that was abusing the Hebrews. Um, He falls in love. Um, He's, you know, he's a human. He has doubts about his, about the thing that God is asking him to do. And um, he displays that he he gets angry with God um, when when horrible things start happening because of Pharaoh's disobedience. So it's it's just this interesting kind of take on the Moses character, and it is such a powerful film, and the music in it is terrific. Um, a lot of people went went from Disney to DreamWorks, and um, did started their animated sort of features. And Mm. this was kind of the first one out the gate. And it is, the Prince of Egypt is just as good as the Lion King. It's just as good as Aladdin and any of those early Disney Renaissance films. It's so beautifully done. Michelle Pfeiffer plays uh, uh, his wife. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly enough. Um, And yeah, I can't, I can't say enough good things about it. It's, it's just a really terrific film and it makes me just feel very inspired every single time I watch it. Um, I don't know if Val Kilmer is singing in it. Um, I think there might be another singer mm-hmm. um, singing Moses's parts, um, but maybe I'm just gonna Google it here really quick because I'd be interested in knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, no, he did not do his own singing. Um, even though he's sung in other movies. Um, and he did, he sang when he played Moses in the stage musical, The Ten Commandments. Um, oh. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, but yeah, he, uh, he but yeah, so uh, it's great. Anyway, I don't want to belabor the point. Prince of <laughs> Egypt, great Val Kilmer movie, probably my favorite of, of his, of his entire film library. Um, my, mine is another probably left field choice um, where I would actually go with um, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, uh, mm. which is more of a Robert Downey Jr. movie. But uh, I think he's just hysterical in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and, uh, and, and, and kind of an interesting character, too, where, you know, he's a private detective trying to give Robert Downey Jr. lessons on how to be a private detective because he thinks that Robert Downey Jr. was cast in a movie, and it's just, uh, it's just, it's just hilarious the way they they have their like buddy cop throughout it. Um, so uh, the next question I have for you is, uh, what would you recommend any Batman comics 
to anyone interested in the characters after this movie. Mm. Yes, uh, Zero Year is very good if you're looking for a good Riddler story. Yes. Um, Batman Hush is a very good Riddler story. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think, The War of Jokes and Riddles by Tom King is a good Joker, Riddler, Batman story. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you're interested in Two-Face stories, Batman The Long Halloween is really good. Mm-hmm. Batman Dark Victory, its sequel, is really good. Um, trying to think of some other great Two-Face stories. Um, uh, the, sorry. I, the, 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 well, the, one, the one that comes to mind for me is uh, the All-Star Batman, uh, My worst, my Own Worst Enemy, mm. uh, where he's trying to take Two-Face across the country to try and get him cured. But they keep mm-hmm. coming along like different uh, you know, assassins that keep trying to stop them. Um and also interesting that Two-Face doesn't actually wear like a two-sided suit in that comic either. Um, it's like two-toned kind of, but uh, but not like two-sided like we're normally seeing with Two-Face. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Two-Face is a really great character in Gotham Central, in the Ed Brubaker Gotham Central um, series. He's, yeah, um, yeah he, I, there, there's a lot of great uh, great elements. And then, of course, Robin stories, Dick Grayson stories specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking for um, a great Dick Grayson Batman story, um, I cannot recommend The Dark Mirror enough. It is yeah. one of my favorite Batman stories overall and just a great definitive take on Dick Grayson as a character, even though he's playing, even though he's Batman in the story and he's not uh, Nightwing or Robin. Yeah, um, yeah, that was pre pre New Fifty Two, um, mm-hmm. and uh, really one of the the better Dick Grayson any Dick Grayson story in general. Um, but I also recommend like the, the more recent Tom Taylor <laughs> uh, Dick Grayson stuff as Nightwing. Just you know, I I I do digital. Um, I do uh, DC Universe um, Infinite, mm-hmm. and um, last I checked, it hadn't hit yet. So I'm looking forward to that to that series. You'll you'll love that. Also, Tom Taylor's Suicide Squad is really good. Um, mm. I I sort of hope that that's where they go with Suicide Squad three. I don't think mm. they will because it's too recent of a comic. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Who knows? James Gunn might be reading it right now. I don't know. But um, yeah. And uh, so, final question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as big, you know, we're big Batman fans. Uh, the new movie's coming out. There's going to be at least two HBO shows, I guess. There's a Gotham Police, and then. The Penguin show. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess they're two different shows. I thought they were the same show. I guess I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> either way, what are you most looking forward to with this new direction that the series is going in? I'm looking forward to Matt Reeves's um, love and appreciation. One of his, you know, he was asked to cite his influences, and one of them was Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. And I think Batman the Animated Series is the finest adaptation of Batman outside of comics. Um, So, you know, for someone to have that great of taste, I can feel it in the trailers too. Um, I can kind of feel that influence um, kind of permeating through that. Um, I'm really looking forward to um, the sort of the, this fantasy world. So, I've heard that the Batman is more grounded than the Dark Knight mm-hmm. series. But when you watch the trailers, you can certainly see that. But also simultaneously, 
Gotham feels like a fantastical place. It doesn't feel like it could be real. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to seeing um, uh, Matt Reeves kind of thread that needle, you know, of like the sort of very grounded superhero movie, but also an extremely heightened reality, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I that that I think that balance is what I'm looking forward to. I respect the hell out of Matt Reeves as a filmmaker. Oh yeah. Um, I think his two Planet of the Apes films are among some of my favorite films ever. Um, particularly his first one, which was the middle film in that trilogy. Yep. Um, but um, yeah, I. Uh, I think he's a great filmmaker and I'm very much looking forward to seeing uh, his take on Batman. I couldn't be more thrilled that he is the one doing it. I think, uh, I think we're going to be in for a treat, especially, you know, like you said, the Planet of the Apes movies to take Caesar to take, you know, between Andy Serkis's performance and his direction and everything that, that, that character while being fantastic, it's a talking ape feels so human and so real and we're just Mm -hmm. invested in his story throughout both of the films he did Mm -hmm. to take an actual human character like bruce wayne it's like okay well this is a no-brainer like you you you've done it you've already done it you can do it again i'm sure of it um and the fact that he was given the time and you know whatever he needed to kind of just take a step back from all the ben affleck craziness um and I mean that in a good way. Like ben, there was just a whirlwind of Ben Affleck for a long time until mm-hmm. Ben Affleck said, I, I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Which he did say, fans out there, uh, <laughs> uh, despite him doing the flash, that's a that's the ending to his character, as far mm-hmm. as we know. Um, mm-hmm. but so for Matt Reeves to just like take a step back and go, Well, I'm gonna do my thing. I don't want to do what Ben was doing, I want to do my thing. And Warner Brothers was like, go for it. It says mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, well, and he deserves it too. He deserves that level of trust because he is a mastro filmmaker. Yeah. He's he's really great. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to all of it, man. I I can't wait. It's gonna be it's gonna be a great time. So yeah, we're 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 coming up on a new a whole new Batmania. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome, and it's coming out my birthday weekend, which I'm really excited for. Awesome! It's my sister's birthday weekend. My nice. birthday. My birthday weekend was uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming, so oh, awesome! So that was that was that, and now she gets Batman, so that's cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Josh, this has been a total blast. Um, so if people are looking for you out there in the interwebs, where can they find you? Yeah, so you can. I mean, these days, uh, so I work in a job where my busiest season of the year is is this time of year. Um, I work in e-commerce, so um, so. November, December is like, and, and leading up to it is, it's insane. So right now you can find me on Twitter. <laughs> that is where, <laughs> that is, that is where I, I post stuff on Twitter, mostly um, at super secret Josh. I do have a podcast uh, that is neglected beyond, you know, acceptability. Um, <laughs> but I'm working on getting a season kind of together. I want to do a run of like eight episodes and really just kind of release that as a as the first season of the show so um you can be on the lookout for that i'm i'm excited um to get that going again because i love doing this i love sitting down with people and talking about the things that i love so um yeah you can find me there 
All right. And, you know, I'm definitely, I told you uh, before we recorded, I'm looking forward to more of that. Um, And, uh, you know, this is, this has been a total blast. Um, You know, we got, uh, we got so much to look forward to. Um, And the only thing that we really need to ask ourselves at the end of the day is, are there too many questions? (laughs) There's, I, I think there are too many questions. Yeah, I think so. You chill, chill the fuck out right there. Jesus. (laughs) 